Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions. In this episode, Ian Montgomery of Label Sessions talks to Tamarisk Saunders Davies. Tamarisk is a Toronto-based London trade marketing leader stepping up of Gensler to specialize in corporate real estate, architecture, interior design, and professional services. With over 15 years of advising C-suite executives and communication strategies, Tamarisk excels in trend spotting for optimal brand positioning in the media. Ian talks to her to find out more. So the best way of getting these things started is thank you for doing it. And um, yeah, like, let's just do that little warm, nice intro of tell us a bit about you, a bit of your backstory, how you came from being this person with a posh English name turning up in Canada. I'm a sensitive Leo who like flop walks <laughs> on the beach and I'm just as happy at home watching uh, Netflix with a bottle of wine. Um, that's enough about my dating profile. Professionally, um, started off life after leaving university um, in London, uh, went into public relations, didn't even really know what it was at the time. Somebody just said, a mate of mine just said, I think you'd be really good at it. And, you know, all I knew was like ABFAP. And I was like, <laughs> cool, okay, I'll, I'll give that a go. So started kind of getting internships and just trying to figure out, like, did, did does it seem like a viable career? Do I think I'd be good at it? Yeah, left, did uh, repeated internships at the same place um, all the way through uni and got my first job there. Um, turned out to be a terrible place to work, um, which was, you know. Sounds like ad Yeah, it just, it wasn't, it, somehow it kind of wasn't obvious after all of those internships that I'd done that it, it was, it, the culture there wasn't great. Somebody left once a month for 11 months straight, which kind of says thing about the culture there. Um, and bounced around a bit at a couple of sort of similar, very consumer focused agencies until I found myself at a very small uh, firm that had spun out of um, the PR and the marketing person who'd been at a big UK real estate agency called Savills and they'd set up their own PR firm uh, covering the property market. And that really was a kind of turning point for me because I suddenly found that um, you weren't just sending out samples all the time. You weren't just kind of, you know, stuck in a sample cupboard, packing up, you know, shoes and dresses and whatever for whatever a fashion director was calling in. You actually had to know like what it meant if, um, you know, second homes were gonna be included in self-invested pension funds. You, you needed to know what it meant if interest rates were going up or down and how that would impact uh, the housing market. So suddenly, you know, the job became much more interesting and, you know, much more demanding in terms of figuring out what an interesting story was, putting together um, some thought leadership around it, the right spokesperson, examples that cover it. Um, and from that firm, I moved on to a bigger firm that did um, a lot a lot more property, kind of very focused on the residential side of things in London. Um, and at that time, in the kind of mid-2000s, residential property, um, especially if you were doing big developments, involves a lot of taking developments out to the Middle East and Asia to kind of um, get the pre-sales out over there. So the campaigns became very international, which was really good fun. And then... Took a career break in my mid twenties. Um, had a kind of mid, you know, quarter life crisis. Retrained as a psychotherapist, um, and brought those skills back to the kind of the agency world, um, which has been, you know, I was 
felt like I was kind of going back into work slightly with my tail between my legs. This sort of itch that I'd wanted to scratch had kind of gone in a different direction than I had hoped. It's actually incredibly difficult to make a living as a, you know, self-employed therapist in London. It's a very expensive city. Um, and met and fell in love with somebody who's Canadian in London. I'm a dual citizen, so moving to Canada was pretty straightforward for me. Um, and that's how I ended up here. I feel like the therapy business could have done really well here. Much more open people to that, to that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably would have. And in terms of like that experience that you, you spent like a big chunk of your career in London, then turned up in Toronto, you and I have shared stuff over a drink talking about the challenges of Canada. Um, but what do you see as like, the big differences around like that sort of PR marketing world in London versus how it works in Toronto today? And I know you're going to go into a global role shortly, so we'll, we'll come to that. But um, I'd love to like, dig into that a bit. Yeah. Um, getting to Canada and actually sort of finding a first job I found incredibly challenging. Um, just purely from a kind of recruitment perspective, the attitude everywhere I went was um, you don't have Canadian experience. And I found that so frustrating um, because... The nuts and bolts of, you know, doing public relations isn't different, isn't different at all. You know, you're not, we're not like chiseling stories onto tablets over here and, you know, hand delivering a story idea to a news desk. It's exactly the same. You know what I mean? Like, how are you launching something that solves a problem? Have you got a story angle that is relevant to the news cycle today, right now? Um, so I found it quite dispiriting to kind of be having one-to-ones with, um, you know, people trying to understand the lay of the land here, you know, figure out who the key players are. Um, lots of people saying to me in that uh, environment, no, you've got great experience. London trained, you know, like, it, it, fantastic. Any agency would be lucky to have you. Uh, and then having actual interviews where agencies were saying, oh, but you haven't got Canadian experience. Um, so I think that is a microcosm of something I have observed here which is, I find Canada small C conservative. It's, it, it's, I don't mean politically conservative, I just mean play it safe. Um, and I think how that kind of pulls through into, you know, marketing, advertising, you know, PR, all of it, um, is just I don't see the same level of kind of boldness and bravery that you see coming out of, you know, the, those kind of creative industries in London. You know, I, I think that's evident even when you just look at the difference between, you know, ad spots that are winning awards at Cannes coming out of UK agencies versus stuff that you're seeing coming out of Canadian agencies. And I know that there's, there can be some great talent here. Um, it's just, I, I think, I, I, my hunch is that a lot of those folks at those kind of agencies and, you know, with those with those clients are kind of hamstrung by their clients, you know what I mean? Who are kind of saying, no, we don't want to push it that far. We don't want to be that brave. We don't want to be that bold. Um, and it, it, it's, I think the creativity here suffers as a consequence. I, I find it just sort of boring. Does that mean you get to have a bigger impact with what you do in Canada? Because you come from that background of like it being bigger and bolder and more adventurous in London. That's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Um, I think I'm, you know, I, I don't know that I have, I can't prove for counterfactual. I've only got my experience, you know, I'm, um, you know, to quote the song, England made me. Um, it's how, I, you know, it's how probably you and I both think. Um, I don't, I don't know what it's 
like to sort of think or approach a kind of creative problem another way, um, you know, it's certainly been, if there's a sort of secret to my success, you know, it's that I, I just, I'm not satisfied with, you know, I, I at the moment I'm working at a, at a you know, at a, a design firm and I came here from another design firm. Um, and I've had experience working with, you know, the interior design world or the property world before. I think, you know, good design firm does good design is not an interesting enough story. And um, it's very difficult to land that in the media, um, you know, beyond the kind of interior design or architecture trade press. My, the secret to my success is always to dig further. You know, what is that signal about, you know, broader macroeconomic trends what does that signal about say the return to the office the return to work what does that single signal about the future of cities um you know how do any of these projects ladder up to some kind of bigger message about you know maybe impact on the climate you know something like that i just it's just how my brain works we'll go back a bit because i want to dig into that in a minute but um talk about like so you're now in gensler you're about to go into like a global kind of pr role that's why we managed to get you at short notice to do this podcast um but like tell, like, tell me a bit more about Gensler. Tell me a bit about like the role that you're going into and like what's the what's the sort of the purpose and the heart of the firm? Because I suspect if people understand real estate and architecture, they'll know the name, but a lot of people won't. Yeah, Gensler, um, there are a lot of lists out there sort of, you know, naming Gensler as, you know, one of the world's uh, largest architecture and design firms. You know, I, I like to think about being the largest, being somebody who works at one of the largest architecture and design firms as being somebody who works at a firm with the biggest impact. Um, you know, with as you know, we're nearly 7,000 people. Um, we're in 56 countries, um, or, you know, 56 offices around the world. That's the opportunity to have a massive impact on, you know, the clients that we are working with, the problems that we're solving. Um, and right now, countries, cities, states, provinces, you know, everybody is facing kind of some en enormous and interesting challenges to solve. Um, when it comes to things like, you know, what do the future of our cities look like? So it's an, it's, it's, it's a really interesting time to be in this world in architecture and design, because, you know, we're right now, as we're talking, you know, Arizona has had like, I think the ninth hottest day. It's just day after day after day, it's breaking records um for how hot it is there and it's kind of bonkers to see people like flocking to arizona you know to phoenix i'm going to stand next to you know the mercury kind of shooting through the roof um it's it's a really exciting time to kind of be working with architects and designers who are trained to solve problems you know it's um and you know an output of that can be you know a beautiful building but when you sort of talk to these these folks that i'm surrounded by all day every day they are just fascinated by solving demanding complex problems. Um, and that for me is what is interesting about the opportunity to tell the stories of the problems that they're solving. How do you go about finding the sort of the trends or the the stories that are most interesting? The position as the brand as the continued leader in that space? It's a combination of being incredibly nosy and just naturally being an extrovert. I like talking to people. Um, so, you know, finding the stories, you have to go hunting for them, you know, so it, it honestly, it's it's nothing more sophisticated than just having lots of conversations with people. Um, I also read a lot. Uh, and like, that's advice I give to anybody, you know, who I've sort of coached or mentored over my 20 years in public relations. I started out every day, we had to, we had a rotor, like who was reading what newspaper and you read the same newspaper for a month and then you'd switch. You know, you'd come into the office at 8.30, have a cup of tea and, you know, 
if it was my turn to read the Daily Mail, just scream for at half an hour. Uh, and can I love the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is the best comic book in the world. You can't give them your eyeballs. Don't do it. Stop. <laughs> but it makes me laugh. Resist the urge. <laughs> they don't. They don't need it. Um, so yeah. So you know, you have to. You uh, if finding those stories is about understanding what's driving the news agenda, which is where you know voraciously reading e anything and everything um, is one part of it. And then so it's about understanding what's happening out there in the world. And connecting that so to inside your organization. Um, so it's, it, I, I guess if I could sort of sum it up into one word, it's just being constantly curious about what's happening out there and curious about what's happening in here um, and just connecting those dots. And how does that bridge work between like PR and architects? Because like my experience of meeting architects is they tend to be like completely averse to PR. They're quite nerdy. They're often a bit introverted. They're a bit... It's, it's a very different world that they inhabit versus the people who have to go and tell the stories about what they're doing. Often, you know, you you know, if it's somebody who hasn't, you know, worked with somebody who's, you know, done help help them with PR in the past, um, you just have to kind of dive in and do it, and then you know they can, over time, you earn their trust, and they can you know the, the see the results of you know what you're able to do. Um, I, and I think that's just where kind of being, you know, curious and interested in other people. I think that's where the kind of, you know, my therapy training kind of comes in. Um, in my experience, the world is just almost everybody is starved of the experience of just being deeply listened to. Um, you know, so I think a way you can kind of begin to overcome that is just be genuinely interested in what somebody's doing. Continue a dialogue to kind of figure out like how you might tell that story to a wider audience. And, you know, most people are sort of you know flattered or that you know you want to kind of have your tires pumped a bit if you know somebody's kind of saying to you i think that's a really interesting thing that you're doing and i think more people need to know about it i think there really could be something i could go to the media with there that's a that's a, that, that can be a very you know kind of exciting prospect for somebody you know even if they're sort of I, I don't really haven't done that before i don't really know what that would look like you know it's then it's my job to kind of you know hold their hand and walk them through that process um and my experience has been certainly here i've had the um, incredible good fortune to sort of walk some people through that process and had some incredible results um, to create a sort of you know that 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 wheel's really turning so that it's become sort of you know uh, self-generating PR a machine seems a little bit grandiose but um, yeah no don't be, don't be so British about this <laughs> we can you deal with like this is about North America as well. This is all about pumping the tires and being grandiose <laughs> and being being proud, having a little bit of an ego. Um, what do you like? What's the is there um is there an example of a story that you're most proud of? It's like that's a thing that sort of Gensler had done. You thought it was awesome. You could go and tell that story, and it got like, it got kind of traction. On a macro scale, I'm really proud of the work I've been able to do with um one of the architects in the Toronto office. Um who at the beginning of the pandemic was, you know, phoning up his, you know, developer and landlord clients and just kind of saying like, you know, what's on your mind? What's, what do you, what is the key problem that is keeping you up at night? And, you know, a lot of those clients said, look, everybody's working from home and, you know, we're a REIT. We are 60 to 70% in corporate workplaces, um, you know, with the remaining, you know, 30 to 40% in a bit of retail, a bit of industrial, you know, we don't know if that waiting's right anymore. We don't know if people are going to come back to these office buildings, um, you know, and they were also looking ahead to the future to kind of say, you know, climate, uh, you know, 
regulations, you know, government mandated regulations are only going to get tougher. Um, what does that mean for the future of our office buildings? That's what's keeping us up at night, you know. So um, Stephen, my colleague, said, would it be helpful if we could come up with, you know, some kind of back of a napkin calculation to help you figure out if you could convert office buildings to some other use? Um, you know, and pretty much every single client said, yes, that would be really helpful. Anything, something that is, you know, a lot quicker than a lengthy, what in the architecture world is called a feasibility study, which can take months, um, you know, and is is quite costly uh, and quite an intensive process. If, if you could come up with something that's faster than that, that'd be amazing. Um, so he came up with something, they tested a bunch of different building typologies, you know, office to hospital, office to hotel, office to lab. Um, and the thing that they landed on that is the easiest to kind of come up with a quick back of a napkin you know, assessment is office to residential. Um, and back to my point about, you know, being nosy and talking to people, you know, Stephen and I, you know, he's also a Brit, you know, I respect his intellect. I respect his, um, his work ethic, you know, everything with good friends. And he told me that, you know, he was working on this with his team. Uh, and my job is just to know a little about a lot. So it's not, I don't have to know how the entire algorithm works. I don't have to understand how the all of those calculations happen in the back end. All I need to know is a good idea when I see one. Um, so I placed a story with the Globe and Mail, um, which got read by Calgary Economic Development. And at that point in time, Calgary was sitting on an office vacancy rate of nearly 40%, because since 2014 in Canada, you know, Canadian oil has just been... Cal Calgary as a city was buggered long before the pandemic with regards to sort of downtown real estate. Exactly. So they had a lot of office vacancy as a result of the collapse in Canadian oil prices and then the pandemic hit. Um, you know, so at that point, you know, they were even in a worse vacancy position than when Detroit was, when Detroit declared bankruptcy, just to kind of put that into, you know, a wider context. Um, so Calgary Economic Development read this... Read this new story phoned Stephen up and said like could we bring you guys in to kind of assess the buildings in downtown Calgary um of course you know we said yes that turned into you know a, a piece of work that Calgary economic development could bring to the city of Calgary the city of Calgary made some very simple straightforward tax incentives available to the community um and have been very fast and incredibly progressive about um you know making that those tax incentives available and now they have nearly 10 uh, buildings going through the conversion process. Um, and it's become like office to, office to residential conversions has been something that has just caught on like absolute wildfire. You know, Stephen has spoken at the White House. He's going back to speak at the White House um, later this summer. You know, lots of, you know, cities and states are asking us to come in to kind of help them figure out how they might take this approach. You know, what's working, what isn't working. Um, it, I just feel incredibly proud to be a small part of a you know a group of people who are really thinking about like, how do you solve this problem? You know, there's corporate mortgage-backed mortgage -backed securities, which are, you know, coming due. And a lot of people are sort of thinking, well, I, I don't know if we can refinance this mortgage. What are we going to do with these buildings? Um, so it, it, it's a solution that solves problems on multiple different levels. You know, people can still make money. Uh, we can improve the housing supply. We can stop these buildings getting demolished, which saves all of that embodied carbon. Um, it's, 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 it's a phenomenal success story. And I've just been incredible. We've been, you know, it, it's, it's a good idea meets luck. You know what I mean? Which is, 
remember what that saying is or who said it you know what i mean but luck is kind of preparation meets opportunity no nobody talks about luck enough like nobody like says you know what i did a really good thing but it wouldn't have happened if- we were lucky. <laughs> So-and-so hadn't read the paper that day. Yes, yeah. We were lucky to have the right thing at the right time. You know, if we talked about this three years before the pandemic, everybody would would think we were... It just would have sunk like a stone. It would have been sort of, that's kind of interesting. Um, and it, it, it would have just died on the vine as, you know, one one-time cool thing that we did. Am I allowed to ask you what your view of the, the office is? Because you are an office-centric organization. You kind of have to be. You make buildings. I... I... I love being, personally, I love being in the office. You know, I'm an extrovert. I absolutely hate working from home. Um, I, uh, I, I, it's, it's also a, how I do my job is better, I think. It's like being around people, you know, like it's always through sort of stopping and I've never, I've very rarely come up with a really good idea for a story, you know, by hammering out Teams messages, you know, or like doing my email. Um, you know, a good idea for a story comes from, you know, just running by a colleague and asking them what they're up to, you know, what's going on, you know, what's, what are you seeing? What are your clients saying? You know, I read this, what did you, what do you think about it? You know, it's, I I came up, that was a, a, on a micro level to kind of go back to your previous question, another story I'm really proud of is, um, we got to tell the story of how law law firms are changing. Um, and, and that, you know, that's, it's, it's on a sort of much smaller scale, but the pandemic has really shifted how lawyers use their offices. Um, you know, they suddenly had to go back home. They were forced to not be printing stuff constantly because they were just like, holy shit, I got to print this at home. Like printer, this is really expensive. You know, like I can't keep buying printer cartridges. Um, you know, and they still had to kind of clear cases through court and they realized that they could, you know, clear a lot of these cases virtually. So that has meant that, um, even transitioning back to the office, we've, we're now building spaces which um, are incredibly complex spaces to build because of the privacy and the AV requirements to, um, you know, present to a judge in these environments. They have to be very secure. Um, but they also, you know, you're also bringing clients through so that there's the client experience of arriving. So that has to be taken care of. Like, these are all things that designers think about. I would have never have landed on that as an interesting story had I not been in the office talking to somebody um, who had sort of, you know, mentioned it in an offhand, in an offhand way. So yeah, for me personally, um, I am, I'm, I can see the benefit of the office. Um, I don't think, I don't think the office is going anywhere. Um, and I think Gensler's research for a long time, even before the pandemic, you know, our research was showing that, um, the office is not, uh, performing in the way it needs to, to meet everybody's needs, just in terms of, you know, People been people have been kind of hybrid even before the pandemic. You know, I mean, yeah. your previous life as a consultant, you know, you're often seconded to your client's office. You know, so yeah, you, my office was C13D on Air Canada. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you're working at the airport, you're working at your client's location. You know, technically, you work for a green dot consultancy, and you're on their payroll. You know, but you're not physically in the office. Um, so it's it's. It, it's accelerated a trend, um, but I, I don't think anybody thinks, you know, the, the large majority, I think people don't think the office is going anywhere. They can still see a need for it. You know, it just depends on how often people are back. And it's just changed, which is pretty great. But terms like Gensler go, we can redesign that for you. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. 
Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. And so um, something I'm interested in is you have like PR, marketing, sales. When it comes to how it works for you guys, um, there's like an interesting topic around B2B sales at the moment with people who... I always find weird when people talk about B2B sales and it's just like, it's just this magical beast with, you're still selling to a person. You're not selling to a logo. How does it work for you guys when you're sort of, there's the PR side of it, there's the, there's the pitch side of it, the sales side of it, the marketing side of it. How do you join it all together? So it becomes this coherent thing that people can go, I get that. I want to work with you guys, not somebody else. The way there's the nuts and bolts of, you know, get RFP, respond to RFP, go to presentation, all of that. Um, I think something Gensler takes very seriously, um, is the relationship side of things, you know? So I think going back to what you were saying, it's not, you're not an organization or one logo selling to another logo. You are a bunch of people who can solve some problems talking to another group of people who have a bunch of problems they would like some humans to solve. Um, so I don't. I think from a like a very like a thirty thousand foot view, I don't think B two B sales is different to kind of any other style of selling. You don't have a business unless you solve a problem. Whatever your business is, you need to solve a problem. You don't solve a problem, you don't have a business. I think the crypto bros need to absolutely hear that. In, you know, that's my view. I'm I'm just not convinced personally. I'm not convinced that crypto solves a problem. Um, I think it is a solution in in search of a problem right now. Um, so I think that's why people find it all very confusing. You know, an organization like Gensler's, we solve very literally concrete problems. Um, you know, it's it, it could be anything from uh, a hospital. You know, how do you improve patient outcomes? You know, how do you create uh, a healthcare environment that really prioritizes health and wellness and feels like a you know a, an incredible place to be? at a moment where you perhaps are, you know, you're most frightened, um, you know, or you are accompanying a family member who is going through, you know, maybe one of the worst, you know, periods of, the, of their life. How do you create an airport which feels far more empathic that can, you know, make a long wait far less boring? You know, airports can be very confusing places. I would argue so can hospitals from a signage and wayfinding perspective. How do you create those moments through, you know, um, passive wayfinding? EGD, environmental graphic design, you know, all of that stuff to make these environments feel more human, um, that, that have the impacts that you want them to have on the people who have to use them. Um, so for me, B2B selling is about just all the way through communicating the value that you bring to solving those problems, whatever it might be. I love the, um, there's so many places you look at it, like you designed this on a spreadsheet. You did not think about a human being as you, as you made this. And there's so many things that when it comes to, you translate that to sales, it ends up being a thing where it's, you design this on a PowerPoint slide, you went step one, step two, step three, step four, we'll sell this thing. And nothing ever works in that sort of circumstance. It happens through somebody reading a newspaper article, happens through telling about a story, happens through like, we solve this problem in a different way. That's the thing that like grabs the emotional side of it. And then the rest of it, like you can still do the checklist. Mm. I feel like people forget that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's why, that's one of the reasons why Gensler, you know, is so invested to the level that we are in research, you know, is because we really want to understand um, 
something that feels a bit more intangible you know how do you kind of quantify a human experience um you know that that's something that we're trying to quantify um because anything we touch anything we build anything that we design has to have that human experience at the heart of it so that it, it is an experience which is designed for a human being you know it's not designed to be just a building model in revit you know ultimately this thing is going to be built and, and lived in in some way um I think, you know, you could argue that's what good architecture really does do. You know, the architects that really do create spaces that, you know, um, on a kind of existential level, a spiritual level, you know, kind of move people, um, are able to think about the kind of um, experience that they're trying to create for the people who are living in those buildings. I've always said the best people I've worked with who are like in the innovation realm They've often been people who did industrial design or architecture. Uh, and then most of them went, they got bored of doing their architecture degree and they were like, this is too long. And they, they dropped out of it, but they brought a lot of that thinking through to how do I design a better digital product? But there's something in like the out, like the sort of the classically trained architect that does something in a, in a better and different way. I have come to know architects as people who have this extraordinary uh, level of discipline to like stay with the problem for a really long time you know what i mean like you have to have the discipline to stay curious about what the problem what the real problem is you are trying to solve instead of rushing to a solution um you know i that maybe that's an engineering approach you know what i mean like an engineer is like we got to solve it you know whereas i think architects like we we are going to solve it but we need to have the discipline to really understand the problem so that the solution that we're proposing is the right solution and that that skill is it's very it's very interesting to kind of witness and be around and see i think you know i, I don't think i have it you know i think i'm just like Rah, solve problems you know whereas architects are sort of like we will solve problems but we really need to understand and have the discipline to stay with the problem long enough to know what problem it is that we are solving it may not be the first order problem it, it's probably something a couple of orders below there's a beautiful combination of someone who's very diligent and like sticks with the problem sees it through versus the alongside actually not versus alongside the person who throws shit at a wall and sees what sticks yeah when you end up having the combination of two they probably drive each other insane yeah but you end well, up getting one, to better better outcomes yeah one probably looks like the other you know and I, I i wonder if the person who's just sort of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks is like i do have the discipline to stay with the problem you know and it's just sort of like no you are this is just a lot of solutioning it's not the same it's there's some there's a joke in there about consultants, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, so 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 Josh, our um, resident content producer slash stalker, um, he dug up a quote of yours um, where you said, "If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got." <laughs> um, how have you applied your own advice in your own career? I, I let me first say I don't think that's something I, a quote I can lay claim to. I'm sure somebody somebody else said it, but don't worry, but then take credit. You you, you may have I, borrowed it, but take yeah, credit. But you, I, you said it in an article in 2012. I, so. I think it's true, <laughs> uh, so I'll like I'll say that. Um, well, like I I mean like it goes back to the conversation we were having at the be the beginning with like getting to Canada and trying to find my first job here. You know, so I was hearing one thing in, uh, you know, informational meetings I was having with. Um, you know, people at agencies, etc. Uh, versus interviews. So people kept saying, well, you don't have Canadian experience. So I just, I 
stopped doing what I'd always done. I just started very directly asking people more blunt questions. So, you know, in interviews, a question I often ask is, you know, what is, um, you know, what is stopping you from offering me this role? Um, you know, and then I would start saying, if they didn't volunteer that you haven't got Canadian experience thing, I would just say, my hunch is one of the reasons why you're hesitating, you would, you might hesitate in offering me this role is that I don't have Canadian experience. Um, and, you know, people would sort of sheepishly bring that up. And then I would have an anecdote to kind of say, well, like, here's how I've been in a similar situation and here's how I got over it. Every PR worth their salt, if you've been in the, in the game five years or longer, has been in a situation where you have an incredible relationship with somebody who goes on family leave, who goes and moves over to a different beat, um, who leaves to go freelance and is no longer getting commissions on the type of stuff that you, the type of stories that you use to pitch them. Uh, you know, and suddenly you've lost a really amazing contact that you, and you have to figure out a new way to kind of get into that particular publication. So you, you do what you're good at, which is like, let me help. It goes back to B2B sales. Like you solve a journalist's problem, you know, like these are the things you write about. Here's a spokesperson. Here's why it's newsworthy. You know, here's some quotes. I can connect you to an interview. Here are some times that they are available. Um, his video, his B-roll, his video, his, you know, photography, and you deliver value to the person that you're talking to. Um, so that's a case of how I pivoted. I guess that's what that saying is getting at, um, to land a role. I'm fortunate enough to be sitting in front of a woman who is a complete hustler. Um, she moved here as a, you know, she was had refugee status when she first got to Canada at the age of four or five, not speaking a word of English. Um, and she had every single reservation that I called out, you know, it was sort of like, I, I bet you don't want to give me the role because I don't have Canadian experience. You know, I bet you don't want to give me this role because I don't have a Rolodex of contacts in the Canadian media. Here's how I've been in situations like that, but in the past, and here's how I've overcome them. And she was like, oh, shit, I can't argue with this. She's, she's hustles the same way I do. You know, she's taught me into it. I love that. I've heard the story a hundred million times. Of like, oh, I like, you don't have Canadian experience. I've like had it when I pitched my own stuff. I've had it from friends. I've had it from family. I've come here. It's a bullshit attitude, but like, I love your approach to breaking through it. I just I like I haven't I, heard that enough. Like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, I'm just sort of like, I would be bored not working. And unfortunately, my boyfriend, now husband, this isn't going to just pay for me to sit around all day. Like, I've got to find something to do. You know, so it's just sort of like, if this isn't working, I have to pivot and find another way. I've got to cut through because it's not, the problem is not that I'm not getting interviews. You know, it wasn't like you just need to kind of apply to more stuff that you see on LinkedIn. You know, it had to be something different. But you can't keep throwing shit at a wall. You have to keep being diligent about solving the problem, you right? You have to have the discipline to stay with the problem, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> what what comes next to you? So what's on, the, what's on the horizon for where you're going and what you're excited about for where, you, like the, the role that you grow into, you know? Um, it's really exciting to be, I'm moving into, you sort of hinted on it, I'm joining the the global team. So it's it's really exciting to have this new opportunity ahead of me to um, tell the stories that, you know, are inside of our organization at that global level. You know, it's just, um, you know, a lot of these stories are happening, you know, in our offices locally. Um, and there's a whole team of people who do an incredible job of telling um, Genza stories in the local markets. And it's just going to be a really incredible to kind of connect the dots to see where the trends are happening nationally internationally um and you know figure out 
you know, where we have domains of excellence and experience and cross-pollinate that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about um, having the opportunity to see what comes from getting to get connected to a different level of our organization. It's amazing. I, I, I didn't I don't think I realized how big Gensler and how international Gensler was. So you have to keep feeding me with the stories that come through it. I'm going to go into the quick fire questions now. Okay. I won't ask you all of them, but I'll do, I'll pick a few. But um, where do you go to feed your uh, feed your brain creatively? I guess nature. Tell me more. I you know I don't my brain's not different to any other anybody else's brain. You know, like the uh, creative ideas come when you are disconnected from the day to day. You know, in my experience, I think it's the same with a lot of people. Is when you have when you're a bit bored. Um, and you have a bit of expansiveness, you're out walking the dog, um, you know, you're not on Teams calls, Zoom calls, whatever, um, you know, mucking about with Excel spreadsheets or whatever. You just, you you let you, your brain is able to just wonder, you know, um, and it, you, you just, it's like why you always get those really good ideas in the shower is, you know, you're not sitting in front of a screen i think it's any time when you're not just sitting in front of a screen your your brain can just you know let go of it what do you think's overhyped right now or is there anything that you think isn't being picked up as much as it should be i'm kind of really bored of all things social media personally right now i just you know not on threads i'm not don't at this point think i'm going to join threads um i like a I see all of my TikToks the way somebody my age should she should see TikToks, which is three weeks later when they show up on Instagram. Um, yeah, I feel I feel very over, and I'm I feel very over social media right now. Um, I'm, you know, I'm always craving more in person interaction. Understandable. Social media is a drug. True, I agree with that. Uh, what's the number one thing in PR that you should not say? Well, my maxim, my number one maxim for PR is we don't lie, but we do spin. Very Alistair Campbell of you. Yeah, by that, you know, I, I, you have to understand, you have to, sometimes you just have to sort of carefully shape the story that you were telling. That doesn't, you, we, you should never be lying, never lie um, about what it is that you're telling. But, you know, sometimes it can just take a bit of digging a bit further to figure out like what the really interesting story is. Okay. You work for an, uh, an architecture and, in, and design company. What's your own taste in interior design? More is more. Tell me more. What does that mean? I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm sitting in a white room. I, I don't know enough about this stuff. Uh, I My house is chaos. Um, I, I am like a creative, I don't know. I'm just like a magpie. I just like more pattern, more, more print, more texture, more pictures on the wall more fucking lamps my husband is sick of it he's like how many more lamps are we going to be buying and i'm like you'll know when i'm done um i i don't like christian Niagara style completely sort of you know one chair that is enormously uncomfortable and a and a delicate vase like that to me is not relaxing um I think I like my environments to look like the inside of my brain. Cluttered, <laughs> messy, way too much going on, <laughs> too many open tabs. That's that's my style. I'm into that. <laughs> this, he says while sitting in a mostly white room, but I only rent this place. So, um, Okay, two more. What do you do when you're not working? 
my favorite thing to do is um, have people over to my very cluttered, very messy, very open tabs home. Like I, I, you know, and maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not pretending to be the world's greatest cook or anything, but I just, uh, I just, I absolutely love just bringing people together. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. Um, yeah, I just, I love having people over. It's yeah. If I'm not doing that, um, I still, I still read, you know, I read a newspaper every day. Like I just, I miss, I don't read the times, uh, for its political perspective. I read it for all of the extra stuff, especially the Sunday times. Like I absolutely, I really miss having the actual paper, the Sunday times. So like, you know, read the style section and read the culture section and, you know, read all the long form journalism that shows up in, in the Sunday times magazine. Um, uh, I've even started up like I'm dyslexic, so my my I'm a very slow reader. So like book clubs have always been terrible for me because like I'm like it takes me forever to read a book, and if it's a book I hate, then I'm just like I don't want to waste like months of my life reading this book I hate just because I'm in a book club. Um, so I started an article club with a group of mates, so you know I can get through a thousand words of an article, you know. On the That's way better. I it's, haven't heard anyone uh, do that. Yeah, it's so much better. We have article club. Uh, I want to join. Tons of interesting journalism out there. You know what I mean, and you know a lot of it's often it can be about like quite current current affairs. You know, so we've done the metaverse. Like, what do we all think of it? Um, we we've done one. Um, what else have we done? We've, done, we've had a couple now. Um, and there's an article that I've got bookmarked about uh, the Goop cruise. So Gwyneth Paltrow is now doing like these Goop related sort of cruises um as part of i don't know it's a celebrity cruises or whatever the, the line is that has her there is an, so it's just, there is an I, amazing market in celebrity cruises because so years ago i joked about taking my old team on the trailer park boys cruise <laughs> and i i love the idea that a boat one week is doing the trailer park boys cruise and then they bring it back into dock sterilize it with something healthy yeah no chemicals and then do the goop and then the following week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like that and that combines, I think like that combines one of my, like some of my two favorite things. It's just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated. I find current affairs. I love reading about current affairs. I, I like long form journalism over news. Um, so that like article club combines some of my favorite things, like getting people to physically together and then, you know, just reading. So that's another thing that I've got going on. I love that. That's amazing. Um, One last one then. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Oh, here, I'm off the charts. Like, you know, you know, turn it up to 11. I think, um, honestly, the best compliment I've ever been paid was by maybe one of the most eccentric women I've ever met who told me she thought I was eccentric. And I was like, oh, I've never been so flattered. That is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. And at that point, I was only in my like, late 20s. I'm just like, I've got such a massive runway ahead of me to become really dial this up if you think i'm eccentric now wait until i'm in my 60s genuinely batshit yeah i'm here for it amazing um thank you for this like, i'm i feel like our conversation rambled all over the place but like these are the best ones good and um i i vaguely followed josh's script so um so thank you so much <laughs> So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast nowhere at your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.